Our first reading is from the second book of Kings, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, on page 373 in the Church Bibles. <coughs> now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come to, out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, <clears throat> if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy.
Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and can be found on one page, 106 in the Church Bible. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone stars water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper after the grass have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for these two great readings, two great stories encouraging us this morning. We ask that you would speak really powerfully to us. You'd uh, open our ears to hear you and that you'd open our hearts to respond to your love. Amen. So at the end of last year, um, Rachel and I, my wife and I, uh, had this, gave this fantastic dinner party. It was a great dinner party. Uh, admittedly, it didn't go on for quite long enough to get through all the wine in our wine cellar, unlike some of the epic dinner parties that go on through the window across the road from us. But this brilliant dinner party, uh, we, have, uh, we know somebody who uh, cooks a mean uh, Chinese banquet, and we didn't want to have this on our own. We wanted to invite others to share it, so we decided to invite a number of our um, neighbors down the street. Um, people we know. We haven't, we've lived there for about 10 years. We've never done that before. 
Uh, we did once have a tea party, I think, but we never had a dinner party. We decided now is the time, year of mission, time to kind of push the boat out. So uh, we invited our, our neighbors to this dinner party. It turned out that although all of them knew us, most of them didn't know each other. So they had a delightful time getting to know the people who lived opposite them or down the street. And they thought we were fantastic because we'd invited them all and kind of created this moment when they got to know each other. Actually, all we'd done was ask somebody to cook us dinner and send out some invitations. It was really easy. Last week, Neil started to introduce us to a great model for making an impact and for witnessing to our neighborhood, our community. And it's in three parts. And here they are. I've got a new banner for you today. Okay. So uh, I put that there. Can you all see that? Hope so. Just about. Okay. So here it is in three parts. So it should be quite easy to learn, to remember. So be, do, and tell. Last, last week we were learning about be, the first one. To a large part, that's learning to, to how to be who we already are in Christ. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are carrying hope for others. B. But it's also about learning how to be in our community. So last week we were listening in to Jeremiah's letter to the people of Israel who have been marched away into exile. Do you remember what Jeremiah's advice to them was? It was, live amongst your community, be good neighbors to them, add to their prosperity because as they prosper, you'll prosper, and celebrate with them. Have parties and weddings. If you really want to make an impact on your community, if you really want to be a witness for Jesus, amongst those who live around you, you need to become part of them. Of course, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? He was with his Father in heaven, God in heaven, but he didn't stay there sending the gospel to us. He brought it with him. He came down to live amongst us, to weep and rejoice with us. Only then could he speak with credibility in a human voice of his heavenly Father. Only by living amongst us could he die for us. So that's the first step, B. And the key word here is celebrate. Discover who your community is and then celebrate them and celebrate with them. Celebrate their achievements, their qualities, their story. Long ago, it used to be easy to recognize your community. If you had lived 120 years ago, in the days of my great-grandfather, um, in his village community, in uh, the other side of Salisbury, then you would have known all your community inside out. Because that village of just 50 houses would have contained all of your family, all of your neighbors, all of your friends, all of your work colleagues, all there living cheek by jowl together. Nobody traveled far. Everybody saw each other every day. But now it's a little bit harder, isn't it, to work out who our community is. 
Who do we know? Whose lives can we celebrate? Is it our neighbors in our block or our street? Is it our work colleagues? Is it our leisure club? Is it our social media network? Well, it may be that we have to open our eyes, maybe that we aren't looking closely, but actually there are people whom we see and meet often, whose lives we interact with. Now, Jeremiah reminded us last week that we don't always choose those people, but God makes them to be part of our lives. I don't know if you remember, when we, when we started um, kind of talking about the year of mission in September, um, we, were, we were reminding ourselves that it is God who sets the bounds and times and places of all people. So where you are living right now is a place that God has put you right now. And the people who live around you, the people who bump into you, the people who work with you, the people that you connect with, God has put there around you right now. So he has created this moment, this set of relationships for you. But you might not actually like those people or really want to live where you're living. The Jewish exiles didn't want to be in Babylon. They wanted to be back in Jerusalem as soon as possible. But God told them to get stuck in where they were right then. Long ago, a missionary, um, missionary couple from Africa um, introduced Rachel and I to a phrase which has been very significant for us. And the phrase is, bloom where you're planted. Wherever God has put you, that's where you need to grow. Because you can't grow in soil where you're not. You can only grow in soil where you are. So bloom where you're planted. You might not like your neighborhood, but Christ has put you there. And he wants you to flourish and to celebrate it. Bloom where you're planted. It could, it could sum up the whole of Jeremiah's message in that letter to those exiles. It could sum up this first part of, of our year of mission. Bloom where you're planted. Be in your community. Well, this is all even clearer in our first reading today. A young girl is wrenched out of her family, possibly seeing family members killed in front of her eyes, we don't know, wrenched out of her community and taken as a slave to live amongst her people's enemy. She hasn't, she hasn't chosen this new community. They have destroyed her home and broken her heart. And yet, she is willing to trust God in this new place, to bloom where she's planted. She's willing to live amongst them without resentment. How courageous is that? So, she's willing to be in her community. Okay, so if this is the first step, B, or to celebrate, what's the next step? Well, you can read. It's do. And do means be active. It means bless your community. And the young girl does that in spades. Far from gloating over the tragedy of her captor, she feels compassion for him. She wants to bless him. Well, there's a Christian word for this, isn't there? It's called grace. 
Grace, as the song goes, is when we receive what we don't deserve. Grace is when God gives us the things we don't deserve. That general didn't deserve anything from the girl whose life he had blighted. And yet she gives him compassion and the possibility of healing. She gives him grace. And the general could expect nothing from the God whose people he had attacked. Yet this young girl knows that her God is a God of grace, a God who will bless even those who are hostile to him. I wonder, are our youngsters in the rooms around us, are they learning this same um, this same lesson, are they learning to know and trust Jesus as deeply, as profoundly, as strongly, as confidently as this young girl? I wonder, will they be able to apply the lessons that they're learning today in as challenging situations with such insight and such faith as this young girl? Well, with huge courage and confidence, this young girl speaks up to the general's wife and he offers to him her gift of blessing if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria he would cure him of his leprosy that's fantastic what confidence in the prophet in Samaria and the God of that prophet and it turns out in the story that her confidence in the prophet in Samaria is not misplaced And as if to rub in the lesson, by the end of the story, we have heard that that prophet in Samaria has not only blessed this man with healing from the God of Israel, but he has also refused to receive a single penny from this man in payment of the blessing he has received. That is grace. He has received what he did not deserve and he could not pay for. Well, we've been learning grace at St. Jude's this last term in admittedly slightly easier conditions than this young girl. Last term, our life groups, you'll remember, were, uh, were given a, um, a chunk of money, they were given a bag of shekels, and they had the task of blessing their community. So some gave out hot dogs to those watching the Christmas lights, some paid for children to go on a holiday club, some brought Christmas presents for a family in need. Some presented a nativity set to the school. Some handed out vouchers for coffee. Um, Some gave a Christmas party for a cub pack. Um, Some offered flowers to residential homes. Some gave Christmas decorations to their neighbors. And some joined the rhyme time at the library and gave out nativity books and bought bought coffee for the parents there. All of this is grace. Not one of those people deserved anything from those life groups. Some were in need and others were just random strangers. But all of them received grace. All of them were blessed. And of course, through our ongoing ministries, week by week, we are offering grace all the time. Listening with compassion to the bereaved. Offering lunch and friendship to the lonely serving bacon sandwiches to the hungry, offering an overnight bed to the homeless, praying for healing 
for those who are passing by and giving a cup of tea and a toilet to the thirsty and those in distress. All of this is grace. In a small way, we are copying what God has done for us through Jesus in daily blessing, in renewed relationship, and in new life. Well, what we've been doing in a general way as a church, I am challenging you to start doing in a specific, more focused way in your part of the community, amongst your neighbors, whoever they are, in this coming year. First, enjoy living with them. Celebrate them. That's B. Then go one step further and bless them. That's do. You go to the office party. That's B. You take a Christmas cake with you. That's, that's do. You throw a neighborhood dinner party. That's B. You clear rubbish off the street. That's do. Jesus set the model for us. He went to a wedding feast. B. And there he provided the wine. That's do didn't cost Jesus money, admittedly, to provide that wine, but it clearly cost him emotionally to step into the lime, limelight before he was ready. And he chose to bless that young couple really generously in the amount of wine, those huge um, uh, water jars that then got turned into wine, and in the quality of that wine, such that the, the host of the feast tasted it and said, this is astonishing. We've got the Chateauneuf de Pape at the end. That's amazing. Jesus blessed them with quantity and with quality. And, and he blessed that young couple so effectively by removing from them the shame of failing their guests. I don't suppose that that couple ever forgot their wedding or the way that Jesus had blessed them by being with them at their wedding feast. Well, clearly do is harder than be. Be just requires us to be friendly and have an open heart and be ready to listen and to give time. Whereas do takes compassion, which demands generosity and persistence and imagination. Now, that doesn't mean that B, the first step, is necessarily easy, especially if your neighbors have hurt you as much as they have hurt this young girl who is learning to be in her new community. But do is going to be even harder because it's the same people who have hurt you that you're then seeking to bless. So that's one reason why we start with B, because it's easier. Do the easier one first. Live amongst your neighbors, listen to them, pray for them, and then choose to bless them. Your B will give impetus to your do. But there are other reasons too. The more you be part of your community, forgive my grammar, it works better with the banner, the more you be part of your community, listening to it and understanding it, the more effectively will be the acts of blessing that you do in your community. And the more frequently and generously and effectively you do blessing, the more you will break down barriers for the next step, which we will talk about next week. As I said before, 
grace is costly and it's difficult. So it's, gonna always, it's always going to be easier to, to do together in groups, to, to, to do blessing with other people. So try not to do blessing on your own. Find others to do it with you in groups, in, in your family group perhaps, or in your life group, or maybe in a new mission group that you form with others for this coming year. As you ask God, which bit of the community, which of your neighbors, which, which sector of your neighbors, he really wants you to be getting amongst and to be blessing, also be asking him to, to show you who are the other people he's putting it on their hearts to bless that bit of the community with you. Because if he's calling you to bless somewhere, he'll be calling others to get around with you and for you to encourage them and them to encourage you to do it together. And life groups, start to ask yourselves, which is the mission field that you have in common as a group? Who would you all like to give your attention to? In which community group can you be together? So for instance, there's one group that always meets in a coffee shop. Maybe they will think that coffee shop is the bit of the community in which they as a group are wanting to stand by. I don't want to put ideas in their words in their mouth, but something like that. Or another of you might, you might all have children in the nursery and you might think that's the group we really want to bless. Or the school. Or it may be something else. It may be a, um, it may be a, a particular language group in the community you have a particular heart for. Or it may be a particular sector of community. Or it may be your street. Or it may be, and so on, and so on. Which is that group, that bit of the community, where you can be together, and then how can you do blessing to them? So start praying for ways to repeat what you did last year with your, with your bag of money. How can you, in a more focused way, how can you bless this group that you are cho choosing, this section of the community that you are choosing as your mission field? Just remember, the more, like Jesus, that you step into that mission field and, and live as part of its life, the more you will hear their needs and the more, like Jesus, you'll be able to find creative ways of responding to those needs and blessing them. It was because that young girl lived in the household of the man with leprosy that she was able to give specific and powerful and effective blessing into his life. It was because Jesus was at the wedding feast that he was able to bless that young couple with that gift of wine. One final encouragement as I finish. Just remember, you aren't the only ones who are seeking to bless your bit of the community. Jesus is too. Remember our theme verse for this year. Lord, help your servants. Lord, help your servants. Don't just send your servants. Lord, help your servants. Stretch out your hand to bless and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. Jesus, would you bless our friends and our neighbors and our community with your power as we seek to bless them in your name. 
Let's pray the theme verse together, shall we? Out loud. Lord, help your servants speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys.